Hey, this is Pastor Spencer with Racine Bible Church. You're listening to a sermon from a Sunday morning. The depth of our Father's great love for us. There's nothing like it. Nothing worth celebrating in song like God's love for us. This morning, we are going to begin a brief three-week series on this subject of family, of singles, marrieds, and the family of God. And I'm really looking forward to getting into this together because uh, you are my family. And uh, every now and then, somebody will invite me to do a marriage retreat or something like that at a different church. And I could teach about, I suppose, anything, anywhere. But there's something particularly precious about teaching and preaching about family to your family. And you are my family. I love to um, brag about you. I know you have problems, a lot of problems. And I don't mind talking to somebody about the problems that my family has if I feel like the person I'm talking to is addressing the problems in my family in a way that they love my family and want to help my family. When I talk to somebody who just talks about your problems like because they don't like you, then I don't like them because you're, you're my family and there's, there's a loyalty here. And um, uh, uh, there's nothing like, nothing like being a family together, uh, singles, marrieds, and the family of God. So three quick personal stories about this family. I'll leave the names out of them. I, I'll probably have to put the name in the last one, but he probably won't mind. So a story about kids, story about singles, and a story about marrieds. First story about kids. Last week, Last Sunday was the Grace and Grub uh, event with Dan and Joan Schneider, and they gave us a report about what's happening in Ethiopia. It was so encouraging, but the highlight of the night beyond those testimonies from Ethiopia and Eritrea for me was going through the line of food with an eight-year-old who managed to break free from his mother's eyeballs. And his plate, brownie, Cupcake, jello fluff, cookies, and for vegetable, potato chips. And I was like, I was like, these are my people. I was raised by a father who said, of course, Cocoa Puffs is a balanced breakfast. It says right on the box that it's fortified with vitamins and minerals. My dad, bless his heart, he said that Doritos counted as a vegetable with dinner because they have corn in them. And my dad was right. The Bible says, honor your dad. So um, that's my standard to this day. Uh, so I, I just, um, the kids in this church just crack me up and I just love them to pieces. The, uh, so a quick story about singles. Last, in the last two weeks, I've had two really meaningful uh, conversations with two singles. They, they were both uh, single women, members of this church. And I said to them on purpose, I said, I'm about to do this series on singles and marrieds. Uh, do you have any advice for me when I teach on singleness? And I, um, in full honesty, I can't, I cannot remember uh, a time when a conversation with a church member shaped where I wanted to go in the pulpit as much as those 
conversations did in the last couple of weeks. There's, there's, a, there's, a, there's a great perspective and a lot of wisdom in our, in our Christ-focused single members in this congregation that we could learn a lot from, that we need to learn a lot from, that we need, that we need to imitate. And then a quick uh, story about marriage. Uh, this is about uh, Larry, who uh, recently buried his dear wife, Cookie. Those of you who know him well or know what they have been doing the last few years, you know that Larry uh, set the pace for us husbands as he cared for his wife, whose body and mind, you know, got away from her at the end. But as we were visiting, Larry told me just a, I don't know, to me it was just the most heartwarming story about when they were first married, Larry was deployed on a submarine for three to four months at a time. And he said that that submarine uh, trailed an antenna because at any point in time, the president of the United States needed to get them a message that they needed to launch their missiles. So that's why the antenna was there. But the bonus of that antenna was that every Navy man on that submarine got to receive 150 words from his wife or his family while they were deployed for three to four months. And so he was telling me that the inexperienced ones, as soon as that submarine would go out, wife would just send 150 words and that would be it. Then it would, you don't get any leftovers and that's it. And they would just get them all in the first week. And Larry said that he and Cookie had a very, a very set policy where they broke it into six 25s so that he got 25 words from her equally spaced over the 110 or 120 days that he was out. And I just thought, you know, one, that really wasn't that long ago, but it seems so long ago because technology changes so quickly. But two, just that how many words we bounce back and forth without even thinking and what it, what it, what it would mean to just get 150 words, you know, to... to your spouse, who you love so much. Well, just to say that the children in this church, the singles in this church, the married couples in this church, um, uh, I learn from you and I love you. And there's nothing like addressing family matters with your family. And that's what we want to do in the next couple of weeks as we look at singles, uh, marrieds, and the family of God. So our text today will be the fifth commandment. Uh, I want to take it out of Deuteronomy chapter 5, which is the second iteration of the Ten Commandments. And we'll, re we'll read Deuteronomy 5, verses 1 through 22. So if you open up to Deuteronomy 5... Let's pray before we read the word. Heavenly Father, may your word be our rule. May your spirit be our teacher. And may your greater glory be our supreme concern through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. And Moses summoned all Israel and said to them, Hear, O Israel, the statutes and the rules that I speak in your hearing today, and you shall learn them and be careful to do them. The Lord our God made a covenant with us in Horeb. Not with our fathers did the Lord make this covenant, but with us, who are all of us here today. 
The Lord spoke with you face to face at the mountain out of the midst of the fire while I stood between the Lord and you at that time to declare to you the word of the Lord. For you were afraid because of the fire and you did not go up into the mountain. And he said, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is on the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Observe the Sabbath day and keep it holy as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your ox or your donkey or any of your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates, that your male servant and your female servant may rest as well as you. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. Honor your father and your mother as the Lord your God commanded you that your days may be long and that it may go well with you in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal, and you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor, and you shall not covet your neighbor's wife, and you shall not desire your neighbor's house, his field, his male servant or his female servant, his ox or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. These words of the Lord spoke to all your assembly at the mountain out of the midst of the fire and the cloud and the thick darkness with a loud voice, and he added no more, and he wrote them on two tablets of stone and gave them to me. These are the Ten Commandments here in Deuteronomy chapter 5. Our focus this morning will be on that fifth commandment about family and honoring your father and your mother. If we were to look at these ten all together... Let's say one through four are directly about God. We worship no other God. We honor the Sabbath day in a way to honor God. That's one through four. They're directly to God. Then five transitions down to these relationships. And the first, the first thing that's said in five is about family, mothers and fathers. So five is about family. Six is about life. And death, you shall not murder. Seven is about sex and sexual fidelity within marriage. And then eight, nine, and ten are about property and possessions. As we see these commandments, they're certainly built upon this crystal clear understanding that according to Scripture, marriage, by God's design, is one man and one woman together in a covenant for life. That's God's creational design, and then, it's his, and then it's also his revelational design every time that he teaches in the word about marriage. 
So let me tell you three things about the fifth commandment. We'll make three points about the fifth commandment this morning. Point number one, this commandment is a positive promise, not just a thou shalt not. That's the first point to make. This commandment is a positive promise, not just a thou shalt not. The fifth commandment is positive. It says, thou shalt honor your father and your mother. Commandments one, two, and three all begin, thou shalt not. Don't do this, don't do that, don't do the other. Commandments four and five are both positive. You shall honor the Sabbath and you shall honor your father and mother. And then we're back to the thou shalt again in six, seven, eight, nine, and 10. You shall not covet, you shall not murder the rest of them. But four and five are a positive promise, not just a thou shalt not. You know, when he made the fifth commandment, God could have said, this is the first commandment with a threatened curse. He does that other places in scripture, but he doesn't say that. The living God says, this is a commandment with a promise, with a blessing. Why is that? Well, God says that, first of all, because it's true. Obedient children who are raised by a mother and father who love God and love their children, obedient children who are raised by a mother and father who love God and love their children are the happiest children on the planet. It's true. It's just flat out true. Disobedience, I will grant you that disobedience gives a quick firecracker pop of pleasure. But it fizzles out and you're left with just that acrid smell of smoke and that insecurity that comes with it. The way of obedience is the way of, of, a, of a happiness without regret and a joy that is sustained over the long haul. So this is a command with a promise because it's true. And this is a command with a, with a promise because this is the way life works. When you learn to honor parental authority, and you learn to honor authority in the workplace, authority in the church, authority in the state, it does go well with you. If you learn to despise parental authority, and then when you get into the workplace, you despise authority in the workplace, and then when you get out into the civic community, you despise the governmental authorities, it will probably not go well with you. So God says this because it's true. It's the way the world works. But God also says this because children, like me, and you, uh, we need to be motivated by something good. We need the carrot, not the stick. And I shouldn't say that because I despise that analogy. Who is motivated by a carrot? A donkey. I am not a donkey. I am not motivated by carrots. My, we, we should change that analogy to we need the kringle, not the stick. Like we're human persons and carrots don't entice us. But, you know, the, that's, that, what that's saying is we, we move forward for the reward, not just the whip and the stick, but I want that reward. God knows that's how we're motivated. And so God says that here, that um, honor your father and mother. This is the commandment with a promise that your days may be long. You may have peace. The fourth and the fifth commandments are both positive. Remember, one, two, three is thou shalt not. Six, seven, eight, nine, ten are thou shalt not. But four and five are thou shalt. And the Sabbath 
command, in the fourth commandment, it, it doesn't simply read, um, don't work on the Sabbath. It says, enjoy the Sabbath, honor the Sabbath, keep it holy, keep it happy. The way it says it there is, on the Sabbath, you should remember and celebrate God's redemption. So it's not like the Sabbath is this dour day where we all wear black and don't do anything. The Sabbath is the day when you sit at table and you don't have to jump up from the table. You can pour yourself a second glass and enjoy it with all the laughter and all, and, and all the storytelling that a healthy family would have. Even the servants get to rest and linger at the table and enjoy leisurely conversation. Your home should be a place where rest is enjoyed. Not because of laziness. Man, do we ever miss this in our entertainment age where there's always something to be entertained by. Your home should be a place where rest is enjoyed because you work faithfully when it's time to work. But you can play like lights out play when it's time to play. And the fifth commandment says that your home should be one where parents are honored and appreciated and loved and respected. The picture that's painted in the fourth and fifth commandment is of a mother and father who are united in love for God and love for each other. And that love like creates a soil in which everything in that home blossoms out of that soil. That marriage is privileged. It's protected in the seventh commandment from any infidelities. And that marriage is so protected and privileged so that it becomes the soil out of which rest and joy and fruitfulness can grow. The mother and father are not fighting about who's doing all the work. They're not fighting about what the kids should and shouldn't be doing. They're honoring God. Their kids reciprocally are honoring them. And the whole home is like moving forward in this kind of harmony and peace, in this kind of shalom. But the fifth commandment says, honor your father and mother as the Lord your God commanded you. And to talk a little bit about obedience and honor, uh, babies, little infants, don't really have to work on obeying or honoring. Not that babies are without a sin nature, but little babies are without an independent sin capacity. If you tell a tiny little baby, stay in that crib, guess what's gonna happen? Baby's gonna stay in the crib. Not because she's such an expert obeyer, but just because that's the way babies are. You tell your one week old, don't be out after midnight, that kid's going to obey you, not because they have any clue about obedience and honor, but just because that's what they're, they're babies. They simply have no capacity to act independently. But then again, a baby is unable to honor because honor is a complex concept which requires A, self-understanding, and B, uh, societal understanding of what should be honored and shouldn't be honored. And it's only as we age up that we have that self-understanding and that societal understanding. So a baby is completely dependent, but the goal of parenting, the goal of parenting is that sort of glide path where, where we make this transition from they begin totally dependent upon us and we want to move them toward independence. And the goal is that we use our influence to move them from dependence on us to 
independence from us, but dependence upon God so that, so that our influence never goes away, but it's not that direct influence of obedience. It's more of a mutual influence of honor and respect. We're given authority for the purpose of guiding them toward God's greater authority. And there comes a day when obedience ends, when you leave and cleave. But hopefully there never comes a day when honor ends. I want to stand before you as a man who will never cease to honor my mother and my father. Not ever. And honor is such a positive concept. It doesn't just say, don't disobey. It's a positive thing that we honor them. I think honor is, um, to get really stratospheric for a second, I think honor is grounded in the Trinitarian relationship because God the Father sent God the Son. And when God the Father sent God the Son, when he began his public ministry on the banks of the Jordan, heaven opened up and God the Father says, look at my beloved Son, how beautiful he is. I want everyone in the world to honor him. And Jesus, as he carried out his ministry, how often do you hear him saying, I only do that which my father has sent me to do because of his honor and respect and obedience toward his father. And then, I mean, it's, it really gets mind-blowing in 1 Corinthians 15 at the final eschaton when the whole thing wraps up and it's, it's, it's as if God the Father gives everything to God the Son as a love gift and God the Son gives it all back to the Father and there's this oscillation of honor between God the Father and God the Son with God the Holy Spirit, the very agent, almost helping that to happen. Uh, look at honor in the book of Proverbs. Proverbs 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7 all basically have the same message. It's a father and a couple of times a mother saying to the son and saying to the children, honor your parents, honor your parents, honor your parents. Then read all the way to Proverbs 31. And when Proverbs 31 comes, the last book in Proverbs, there are adult children gathering at the city gates to honor their mother. You see, that whole transition's happened through the wisdom and the chokmah that's in the book of Proverbs. Children are to honor their parents as, as the parents walk in the way of wisdom and love and light. And then parents who are older, this is how it sort of oscillates, parents who are older have no greater delight than in sharing with you um, how proud they are of their children. There's, there's nothing like the sparkle in a 40-something or 50-something woman's eyes when she is showing you pictures of her daughter's wedding. And don't even get me started about the way you annoy me about your grandkids. There's, there's, this, there's just so much honor and love there. I just, uh, I adore the little story of um, the mother of 1950s American president, uh, Dwight Eisenhower. Eisenhower was coming back to his hometown and the, uh, he was arriving at the train station and uh, 
you know, they had, everything was set up the way that they would in the 50s, all those banners, and his family was there. His mother and his other brothers were there at the train station all waiting for uh, Dwight Eisenhower to come, to, to come in on the train. And somebody there in that setting said to President Eisenhower's mother, oh, you must be so proud of your son today. To which she replied, well, which one? What a great answer. Because two of her sons were already sitting on the platform with her. Well, sure, I'm proud of this son that's coming in. But these, my two sons who are here with me, I'm just as proud of them. What a a great mom. This is family is supposed to be the place where you don't earn love. You just get it. Because you're family. This world can be so cruel. You got to perform. You got to measure up. You're going to get cut. You have to lead in the polls. You have to accumulate power and keep people in their place. But in a family, you shouldn't have to earn anything. That's what family is. We just love each other. You don't have to be president. You don't have to do this and that to please me. There's love and honor there, both ways, especially as the children grow older. So the first point is simply that this commandment is positive. It's not just a thou shalt not, but it's a beautiful promise. Second thing to tell you briefly about this fifth commandment is this. Point number two would be this commandment is for bigs, not just for littles. This commandment is for grown-ups, not just for children. This commandment is for bigs, not just for littles. Sometimes we interpret the Bible sentimentally instead of carefully and accurately. And we picture this command as just God's a big guy with a long beard and he's just kind of stooping down and telling the kids what to do. But just run the numbers. If you are under this command from the time you're one until the time you're 16, when you're obeying and honoring your parents, that's 15 years of your life. But if you live to be 70, if you live to be 80, if you live to be 90, you're living under this commandment a lot longer as a big than you are as a little. And it has to have some referent, I think, to both. Throughout church history, this is primarily applied to adults. There's this interesting place in uh, Matthew, is it Matthew? Yeah, Matthew 15, where the, uh, the Pharisees and the scribes asked Jesus some question to trip him up. And Jesus quotes the fifth commandment to these adults, Pharisees and scribes. And I, it, I, I don't know, I wonder if it's a misread to say, oh, well, Jesus is aware that this, is, this command was only for the littles, and he's just sort of secondarily applying it to the adults. I think Jesus was saying the primary, the primary emphasis here is to the adults, because you're going you're gonna to be an adult a lot longer than you're a child. And so this honor should continually be there. This, this honor toward authority. Um, if your parents are not in your life, even if they have passed on, um, th- there's still this commitment to honor authorities, to honor the elders of the church, to honor the authorities that God has placed in your life. But it is true that you're going to experience this command a lot longer as a big than as a little. And that's one thing that we always hear said about parenting 
is that the, the, these years when they're little will go by fast. Uh, my family moved here to Racine in 2001. My kids were like, our kids were like four, six, and seven. And uh, in my first year here, I took it upon myself for some reason. Actually, I can tell you lots of reasons. I took every member of the church board out, either for breakfast or for lunch. And I asked them, tell me about the church. Tell me about your family. And then I said, give me some advice, either about what I should do at church or what I should do with my family. I took them to lots of restaurants that aren't even in business anymore, because this was back in 2001. I used to take a lot of appointments to the Ham and Egger, if you ever used to go there on the other side of the drawbridge downtown. And I remember very distinctly my breakfast, my breakfast with Dan Kabush. And Dan said, well, I'll give you advice about family, not about church. I said, okay, what do you got to tell me? And he said, Spencer, if you do it right, your kids will all leave the house real quick. And if you do it right, you will have built such a happy marriage with Amy that even when they live, even when they leave, you will still be happy together. And, you know, Dan was describing his relationship with Sue. That's true. But thankfully, he was giving me advice that I sought to follow, and he's describing my relationship with my Amy. There's, a, there's a, a happiness and a joy in our bond that's not dependent on all, all, the rest, all the rest of it. So this commandment, there's a lot of wisdom here, not only for littles, but also for bigs. And then a third point about this commandment and really all the commandments, if, this, if the second point was that it's for bigs, not just for littles, and the first point was that it was positive, not just negative, the third principle to give you about the fifth commandment is this. This commandment is from grace, not from law. Or another way to put it is this commandment is from the grace of adoption, not the law of earning. This commandment is from the grace of adoption, not the law of earning. And it's really important to get that. If we're in Deuteronomy 5, look at Deuteronomy 5 and verse 6. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. This is grace. This is the Old Testament understanding of salvation, exodus, freedom from slavery. And notice that before the commandments are given, the declaration of salvation and grace is strong and undeniably sure. This commandment is from grace, not simply from the earning of law. And if you're in Deuteronomy 5, turn over to Deuteronomy 6, and I want to show you something that's, that's oh, we focused on this a little bit in the parenting conference yesterday, and I just, this is, a, this is a verse that has been tripping up my imagination ever since I looked at it a few months ago. Deuteronomy 6, verse 20. Deuteronomy 6, verse 20. When your son asks you in time to come, 
What is the meaning of the testimonies and the statutes and the rules that the Lord our God has commanded you? Then you shall say to your son, so you with me here? Deuteronomy 6, the son says, what's the deal with all of these laws? Verse 21, this is how you answer his question about commandments. We were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt. And the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. And the Lord showed signs and wonders great and grievous against Egypt and against Pharaoh and all his household before our eyes. And he brought us up from there that he might bring us in and give us the land that he swore to give to our fathers. Verse 24, and the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes, to fear the Lord our God for our good always, that he might preserve us alive as we are this day. If you, if you just see that text the way that I do, verse 20, the son asks a question about the commandments. Verse 24, we have the word commandments, but there are a whole lot of verses and a whole lot of words between that question and that answer. Because when the question comes, what's the deal with the commandments? The answer is, let me tell you a story, the old, old story of Jesus and his love. The kid says, what's the deal with these commandments? Dad says, see these calluses? I was a slave. See these marks on my back? I had to make so many bricks with so little straw that I was constantly whipped. And God killed that old dragon Pharaoh who was holding me down. This is the meaning of the commandments. This is so marvelous. God's redemptive initiative in our life God's redemptive initiative in our life is the ground from which we follow these commandments. The most common error about salvation, besides believing that you don't need it, is believing that you can achieve it. I'll earn it by doing enough good stuff. Even here in the Old Testament dispensation, the law is given to people who have already been redeemed. It's not, if you follow these things and check these boxes, then I will save you. It's, I have saved you. Now walk in my light and in my love. God saves, and the commandments are how we walk in the way of, of, of life. This is, this is what's so wonderful about God's love for us. Remember how First John puts it? In 1 John 4, it says, God is love. In this, the love of God was manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Listen to how un almost unbelievable it is in 1 John 3. Behold, what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called the children of God. And so we are. 
The reason why the world does not know us is because it doesn't know him. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not even yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be just like him for we'll see him as he is. He's saying there, God has adopted us into his family. Salvation is initiated by the love of God. Listen, we are saved by grace through faith. This, don't let this sound technical to you. Let it sound important to you. We're saved by grace through faith. You're not saved for your faith. As if God is looking, who am I going to save? And you're all jumping up and down like, I have enough faith, I have enough faith. And God's like, well, you jumped high enough and you jumped high enough and you, I'm going to pick you. You're not saved on account of your faith or for your faith. You're saved by God's grace through faith that is itself the gift of God, not a human work. So this is where adoption comes in. This is where unearned love comes in. I mean, heaven help us if we're trying to earn God's love. That is a way to drive yourself crazy, A, and B, form a, a picture of God whom you will resent. No one who has seen the true and living God as he is can resent him because God is love. But the God who you're angry at or you're unsure about is a God of your own works-based imagination. You got to get back here to this basic truth of adoption, family, and sonship. In the book of Exodus, the Passover, the firstborn, this is so important. In the initiation of that Passover, God has Moses say to Pharaoh, Israel is my firstborn son. Therefore, I'm redeeming him from you and slaying your firstborn son. This, this is the Old Testament background for the New Testament concept of adoption into God's family. Salvation is justification. That's the court of law. Salvation is adoption. That's the, the family couch, family kitchen table. Having a mom who will snuggle you and tell you a story at bedtime. And justification is, is all over the place in the New Testament. Think about what justification means. You ever see those red and blue lights in your rearview mirror? <laughs> or then you have to go to traffic court and you were going 80 in a school zone and lighting off fireworks and you, you, you owe a $2,100 fine. And there's this pit in your stomach, like what's gonna happen? And you're in court and for whatever reason, the judge says, it's dismissed. You're not guilty anymore. That wonderful sense of release. There's an emotion there. But that's just about money. What about the emotion of adoption? Huh. To, be with, to be without a penny and without a home is one thing. I wouldn't wish it on anyone. But what is even worse than being penniless is being loveless. You don't belong. Nobody loves you. And God reaches down and says, you are mine. This is the grace of adoption. This is the grace of adoption. This is what Romans says in Romans 5, verse 5, when it says, 
Hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. This is what God's word says in Romans, in Romans 8, 14 to 16, where it says, all who are led by the spirit are sons of God. You did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons. You have received the spirit of adoption as sons. This is... This is the, the Christian is adopted into God's family by grace, adopted into God's family as a child of God. So then the Christian is an heir to all the treasures of heaven and a Christian bears the name of Christ. So a Christian walks, here's the law, here's the commandments. The Christian walks in the way of Christ because Christ is the one who, adop, who, who, who made us into sons and daughters that we would be adopted by God the Father. And in Romans 8, this is the last like mind-blowing thing I'll tell you, and then we'll get out of here. In Romans 8, the, the Holy Spirit is called the Spirit of Adoption. The Spirit of Adoption. It's the only time in the New Testament that that title is used. But this is what it means. Being adopted by God so staggers the human imagination that only the Holy Spirit of God, resident within my spirit, can make me feel and believe that truth. It is, it is so far beyond anything we could expect or imagine that it takes the work of God in our spirit, the very spirit of adoption, to testify in our spirit that we are the children of God. Human works will never get you there. Jesus will. So marrieds, so singles, so those who are widowed, those who are divorced, those who are very, very young, and those who are very old, have you been adopted into God's forever family. That's where it all starts. And that's where it all consummates as well. Have you been adopted into God's forever family by grace through faith? This through the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, may your sure and true word guide us. Father, give us the grace to no longer live by our feelings. Give us the grace to live by faith. Give us the spirit of adoption to assure us that we are daughters and sons of God. And then as we live in families, as we live as singles, let the forever belonging in the family of God identify and shape the way this family conducts itself in the light of your love. In Jesus' name, amen. To find out more about our ministry, contact us at racinebible.org. Thank you for listening.